Okay, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this live podcast with CSM Live. Thank you so much. And we appreciate, especially given the fact that you could be maybe in a pub garden or, you know, elsewhere this evening, um, in the shops, in Primark, in JD Sports, wherever you might be, or maybe even in Selfridges. So we do appreciate you deciding to spend your Tuesday evening with us. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, we are Women in Sport. We are a charity based in the UK and we solely research sport from the perspective of women and girls. And our core aim is to make sure that every woman and girl experiences the lifelong benefits of sport. We launched our podcast in 2019 and it was really a way for us to tell stories, share insight and bring people together from across the sector as well as outside the sports sector in order to talk about issues that are affecting women and girls. And since last year, CSM Live, the sports and entertainment agency has been supporting our podcast. And we really wanted to work with them to bring these sorts of events and discussions to a live audience. The idea being we would do it in person. Um, unfortunately, since the pandemic, we, we haven't really been able to do that but we have been able to bring it to a live audience on YouTube. And this is the, the second edition that we're doing in YouTube. And um, if you did tune in in August as well, thank you. And um, we did one in August, in August about coming out of lockdown, which maybe seems ironic now, maybe a, a little bit ambitious uh, to do a podcast in August about coming out of lockdown, but you can watch that as well on our YouTube channel. And we talk, talked a lot about our research and how we can ensure that women are, are keeping active coming out of this, which is definitely still relevant now. Um, so onto this evening's discussion, we've got a fantastic panel together for this, and we're going to be exploring gender equality in work, workplace culture and sport, something women in sport has been focusing on for a number of years. And we started looking at it uh, from an audit perspective, you know, counting the number of women that were working in NGBs or in senior leadership roles. And then we really moved on to look at workplace culture in a deeper way. And that's some of the work we're doing now with the funding from Comet Relief and we continue to do. And since obviously the, the code for sports governance was introduced, which was a massive win, win for women in sport in terms of influencing the creation of the 30% gender quota as well. We've really tried to look beyond that and look at how we can continue beyond those numbers, beyond that 30% to really ensure inclusive workplace cultures that ensure both men and women can thrive working in sport. So this evening's panel, we've brought together a fantastic group. Um, England cricket, cricketer Tammy, Tammy Bowman joins us. Um, I'm gonna get everyone to kind of do a little bit of an intro about themselves in a second themselves and, and tell us a little about, about them and their journey um, and their career in sport. So um, Halima, let, let's start with you. Thank you, Florence. Um, well, my career in sport started at a very late age. Um, I was 21. Um, and all I wanted to do then was uh, play cricket um, and just to manage the audience expectation. I wasn't as good as Tammy and never made it to England. Um, but what I soon started to realise, going from playing cricket, um, is that I, there wasn't much visibility of, of women in sport at coaching levels. So I decided to go down a coaching route. I coached for a few years and then I kind of found myself falling into the administration role of sports. I've held quite a few positions in local authorities, working for governing bodies. I'm currently working for a national inclusion charity now called Street Games. 
um, and we work predominantly with those communities from lower socioeconomical groups um, and specifically focus on children and young people in just making sport a choice for them, but also using it as a catalyst for positive social change. Um, I also sit on, uh, as you mentioned, Triathlon England as a board, um, as a board member there with a portfolio around diversity and inclusion. And I also sit as a trustee for the Asian Sports Foundation and North Yorkshire Sport. And, and you'd think I've not got any spare time, but... Um, but in my spare time, I'm also a reservist in the Royal Navy. So. I don't know how you fit all that in, but that's, that's incredible. Just repeating it back to yourself. I don't know either. <laughs> you're getting exhausted just saying it. Um, Tammy, you're, you're next in my little um, gallery view. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your career? Yeah, so I'm Tammy Beaumont, England women's cricketer. Uh, I made my debut for England all the way back in 2009, um, but I had a very... Um, up and down start to my career, shall we say, very much in and out the team um, until sort of 2016, uh, where things kind of turned around for me. And um, yeah, all the way back in 2009, we were completely amateur. We got a little bit of lottery funding once a month and I've seen it all the way through to professional level now uh, for the last kind of eight years, I think. And um, it's now the game's growing so quickly that, you know, there's now instead of only 18 professionals, there's now up to a sort of nearly 60 in the women's game, which is incredible uh, in the UK. Um, and I'm getting to the back end of my uh, my career now. I'm turning turning 30 and kind of looking at what I can do next. And uh, I'm looking at maybe setting up a business in kind of in around um, corporate wellness and trying to make people happier, healthier and hopefully more productive for the company that they work for. So that's kind of my interest outside of cricket as well. That's great. Look forward to chatting about that with you. And Stacey, uh, CSM Live, tell us a bit about your career. Thanks, Flo. So my name is Stacey Knight. I'm the Commercial Marketing Director over at CSM Live, which is a sport and entertainment um, agency. I've been in media and advertising for, for a lot, far longer than I care to, to remember. But I entered the world of sport in 2017 as a non-executive director for the Rugby League World Cup 2021 which is only a few months away, so incredibly exciting and looking forward to all of that. Um, outside of um, work and you know, my passions in, in, in rugby league, um, I'm also a fourth dan martial artist. So I do Iaido and Jodo, which is Japanese sword fighting and staff fighting as well. Um, so slightly, slightly unconventional sports um, too. No, we love it. And we're, we're all very excited about the Rugby League World Cup as well, can't wait. And something we're definitely going to be covering on the podcast as well. So look forward to that. And finally, Rob Rob Young from Switch to Play Foundation. Hi. So, um, yes, my current role is um, I'm co-founder and chief exec of Switch to Play Foundation. We're a charity that focuses on helping people to sports people across all sports to help fulfil their potential through and beyond sport. So helping them to successfully transition into whatever it is they want to do in their life outside of sport. Um, my career has been in sport all the way through. Uh, I was fortunate enough to spend six years working on London 2012, all around the legacy of the games. Um, I've also worked in a consultancy capacity over a number of years. And I guess in terms of some of the things that I've been involved in, which are quite interesting in terms of touching on some of the subjects today, um, I was involved in the This Girl Can um, pilot project in Berry, which was a precursor to um, some of the work there. I will, if you will, that led to This, this Girl Can. And also um, I was involved in developing the professional workforce strategy for Sport England, which is the first 
professional workforce strategy that we've had as a sector and issues relating to equality and diversity were, as you would probably expect, coming up very strongly in that in terms of, I guess, some of the challenges that the sector faces today. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I wanted to start with that, actually, the challenges, because I think, obviously, at the, at the very start, I mentioned huge amount of progress that's been made with with the number of women in leadership roles in sport and and also um, on on sports boards and and part of that is 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 definitely down to the code for sports governance as well as the work of of so many people in the sector so um halima maybe starting with you wanted to talk about some of the challenges that you faced during your career journey and perhaps reflecting on it now how it, different it is yeah definitely so I think my kind of challenges have been twofold um one is quite cultural so traditionally the background that that I've come from being a South Asian woman um sport wasn't a traditional path for us um and actually there was nobody in the environment that I was in or in the culture that I was in that was pushing that agenda so it's quite easy to to walk away from sport and then never go back into it and um, you know, more academic qualifications and careers. That, that that was what was traditionally seen for us, like being a solicitor or a doctor. Clearly didn't have the brain for that. But, you know, I decided to come down into the sports route. And that's why I came into sport quite late as well, um, because it was only when I had my own driving licence and I was able to kind of go out and explore um, this sport that I loved at a young age to see if I could carve out a, a, a career from it. So, I think it was really important that some of the challenges that I had within my culture that I brought the community, my family, along the journey with me to actually understand the world that I wanted to, to have a career in. So they were kind of just some of the challenges that I've had from a cultural perspective. But I think the other kind of the second challenge that I've mainly had is working with organisations or even developing sport within sports clubs or governing bodies is for them to really understand how they can implement working with diverse groups of people. I think it's quite easy and it's easy to sort of say our doors are open, we are an inclusive sport. But when you really get into the meat of that, is what does that actually mean? So if you're an inclusive sport and you're saying our doors are open, um, Tammy, you might be able to relate to this. But some of the clubs that I've been into to play a game of cricket, game changing rooms, <laughs> <laughs> they are not the state that you'd want. I wouldn't call that a welcoming environment for people to go into a changing room and then say, I would have come back to this environment and carry on playing this sport. Um, so it's really that how, what, it's the hows behind the what. And then the other side of it is, is when we're saying that we're looking for people, for example, with physical disabilities, and we're saying that our doors are open, but actually there's no ramps for them. There's no opportunity for them to actually gain access to the facilities that you're trying to engage them with. But it, for me, that, that's the second part of it is for organisations to really understand how they implement inclusion when they talk about being diverse. Um, and as well from just last one from me, just sharing from a personal challenge that I've had. Um, and it doesn't sit well with me. I don't think it will ever sit well with me. But it's something that I've learned to, to, to live with um, over time and try and challenge it at the right time is that this industry is a network. Um, and at times, it's really unfortunate that, that it's about who you know as opposed to what you know. Um, and I want to be able to be in a position as I go forward to try and change some of that thinking um, and to say, actually, people should be supported on merit and not about because I know that person, I've managed to get into that door. Um, and I think that's something that really needs to change. Otherwise, we will still be an organisation or an industry that just 
look like us. Um, and we want to try and change and broaden our thinking and our diversity of thought as well as our visual diversity. No, definitely. And I think that's certainly something that I've experienced working in the sport industry is the who you know element becomes such a, a core factor. Rob, with with the um, Switch to Play Foundation, that's something you sort of work on, don't you, in terms of broadening that reach and, and trying to educate and, and sort of allow people to get the qualifications, which would then help them get through and break through that, that door in a sense. But how do you think we could go about changing that element of the sports industry, which it does seem, you know, so core to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess specifically from our point of view, we focus around, we think it's really important to have athlete voice at the heart of the governance around sports. And so how do we create pathways for sports people, both during their career and, and in, their, in their life beyond career, um, into having those opportunities to get that experience? And a lot of it is about, I guess, trying to do some myth busting and break down some of the barriers there. So some of the things that we've done are working with um, one of our partners, Mint Ridge Foundation, on a leadership and corporate governance program. That is really a taster into what might it be like in terms of being around a boardroom table and trying to get people to understand that experience with a view to go, OK, this is something I might want to do. And then trying to help find a pathway to actually finding roles within sport. Um, from our, from our perspective, we actually we work with uh, one of the governing bodies we work with on a programme of support for former sports people. They're actually created a role for former players on their board, which I think is a really positive um, development. Um, Switch the Play Foundation ourselves. We're currently recruiting for trustees and senior volunteers. Subtle plug. Um, deadline is Friday. Um, but we really want to make sure that we've got a, a diverse group of people um, including sports people at the heart of what we're trying to do because how can we say that we're best serving the needs of our beneficiaries if we don't have our beneficiaries sports people at the heart of our decision making and governance Tammy you you mentioned I'm, I'm not going to say I mentioned this but you mentioned that you're coming perhaps towards the end of, y- of your playing career so getting involved in governance getting involved in in the leadership side of sport is that something that's interested you at all well, you're on mute, Tammy. Sorry. The, the, the joys of technology. There you Sorry go. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe I need to do a technology course. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I think I've always been quite keen to, um, you know, give back to the game. So even at the moment, um, the ECB, the England Cricket Board, are trying to start a women's health group because it's never really been looked at before. Um, myself and one other player are the player representatives on that because we're very passionate about, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds coming into a system and being supported as well as they can. When I grew up, it was all male coaches and I'm sorry to bring the tone down, but you know, things like periods and how it affects your training was never mentioned. And even now we go on tour with England and there's like not even a bin in the toilet sometimes like, and just having a voice as a player in, in that kind of area with, you know, there's some incredible doctors, gynecologists, nutritionists all on this board. Um, But I, I do feel like they certainly are listening to us as players, what, what we're offering and um yeah certainly i love to get involved in things in that can kind of give back to the game and improve the game um, because i just think it's so important to make sure that you know our experiences aren't necessarily repeated if they're not good experiences um in the future and do you think do you think it has improved as well 
yeah i do i do think it has massively improved like i said i started as a, a an amateur getting paid a hundred pounds a month or something and my if i i wasn't supported by my parents then i wouldn't have made it to where i am and i think that's where the sport needs to really take off and take ownership in that you know you're going to miss some incredibly talented girls if their parents can't afford to s drive them up and down the country every weekend or you know just support them financially to get to those games and stuff like that so I do think it's changing um, but hopefully a little bit quicker than kind of it is at the moment. Yeah um, Stacey as someone that came outside of the sports sector into this um, crazy world um, as a, I guess an outsider looking in is there anything you thought oh that's you know that's a bit strange or I'm surprised things are this way coming from a bit more of a traditional corporate environment? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think for me, look, sport has such an amazing power to to elicit change. It transcends borders. You know, it, it offers equal opportunities for all, or it should do. And and unfortunately, what the case is is that sport is is you know, it still has that gender equality. It's reflected in the number of women that's participating. It's reflected in um, boardroom makeups. It's reflected into sponsors viewing. Um, you know, how, how women's sport is, but it has such a fantastic voice. Now, I, I'm going to be slightly controversial here and say, I'm not a fan of quotas. I'm not a fan of the 30% quota at all, which sounds really controversial. The introduction of the quotas, I absolutely agree, is unfortunately needed, but I don't think what it does is address the, the underlying issues. What it can do is lead to positive discrimination, which is, you know, it, it just doesn't address what's there. It also leads to companies saying, well, we've ticked our quota by employing from the ground up. And, you know, and as, as a woman in an organisation, when I was first starting, I had very few female role models to look up to that, that were certainly on a board level. Very few. If they were, they were either bucketed into two sectors, weak and inefficient or ruthless. And ruthless is putting it nicely. They were called a lot worse than that. And, you know, Tammy, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're entering an organisation and you don't have um, women across all, all different spectrums of that organisation, then it becomes incredibly intimidating because you feel you can't talk about, you know, having children or you can't talk about menopause or you can't talk about menstruating because... You know, I, I, I've been there and, and I've tried to talk to when I had uh, male bosses way back when and and you just saw a flush of red and a, OK, OK, whatever, whatever. You know, so I, I think for me, it's really important. And what, what everybody said about good governance um, and that governance opens up the field of play that really challenges. You know, I, I dream of a world where we can move beyond calling it women's sport to just sport, where we no longer have to have um quotas attached where it just is best person for the job and given that half of the population is female then you know 50 50 chance there uh, these are all things that i would love to do that that sport is given equal broadcast um, across our tv screens that that we're inspiring the next generation and that organizations come to understand that gender equality as is important for men as it is for women men can be who they want to be they can express themselves they don't have to live in this bubble of um perceived masculinity we can be anything now including gender fluid so you know th those are the things that i really aspire to and i really drive forward and aim aim for 
Can I just pick up on something there, Stacey, and you mentioned about the, the quotas, and I agree with you a bit. I think we need to remove quotas because that what that focuses on is diversity. And people would go there and they say, these are our numbers. This is what our staff are telling us. But what it fails to sometimes do, because we hide behind the quota and the diversity, is deal with the biggest, I, I would say the most important part is the inclusion. Because you may get 30% women on your board, you may increase and improve that participation. But how inclusive is that board when it comes to the women that are sat there? Are they, are they being heard? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've sat in meetings at times and, you know, somebody said something and a woman has said something and it's not really being heard um, or acknowledged. And then 10 minutes later, uh, a male will say that exact same thing, maybe in a different way. And all of a sudden the room kind of started talking about that and taking it forward as an action. So these them little um, kind of subtle differences that people have to realize. And it's for organizations to, to realize where their biases lie themselves. In that, I, I think what's more important here is the impact of inclusion because if you focus on the impact and the inclusion, um, the diversity will automatically happen. And I think we need to flip that conversation in this industry where we're not as focused on just driving numbers, but what sits behind the numbers. Do you think, well, really, sorry, Rob, you go. No, no, I was just going to say it's really interesting because I, I was chatting to one of our female trustees uh, prior to coming on today and just sort of picking her brains because she's been involved in various boards of cross international sport as well. And she said exactly the same thing, unprompted. She's not a fan of quotas, but but I guess recognising that there is a massive cultural aspect to this because we have to work beyond tick box compliance and saying we've got numbers to actually getting cultural change, whereas you just described that you have that point where inclusion is inherently valued as something that is actually what we absolutely need to do to drive performance. It's not about doing it because we have to tick the box a quota. It's about actually getting better performance from, from the organisations that we we work within. That's just, you know, there's all the evidence out there. It should be as simple as that type of conversation. Yeah, and, and I agree with that because, you know, you, you look at research, you're absolutely right. Gender diverse companies are 21% more likely to experience above average profitability. So it's, it makes financial sense to have a diverse board as well, to have a diverse workforce, full stop. This may seem like the million dollar question, so I'm, I'm not doing I'm not saying it to be um, to be silly. But I mean, the, I guess the question for me is, how do we get there now? We've got more women in these positions. So they're, they're there. How do we then ensure that they have influence, that they are having a role, like Halima said, on boards, they're being listened to and they feel powerful? I mean, Tama, you touched on um, having a role within a sort of athlete council set up. Do you feel like as a woman within your sport, I mean, I look to the example of MCC didn't have a woman member until 1998 and now Claire Connor is, is the president of the MCC. So a pretty tremendous amount of change in 20 odd years. So do you feel like you're becoming more powerful and it is no longer just bums on seats or, or you know, a tick box? You actually feel like you have a voice. Yeah, I certainly do. And I think um, particularly the way women's sports changed, you know, we're a commercial enterprise now. Our last World Cup, um, the ICC, which is the International Cricket Council, um, basically Uber came on board to sponsor the event. And they didn't come on board because they had a men's World Cup that gets billions of viewers. They came on board because they needed to improve their image with women. And we had a women's World Cup. 
So, you know, we are now a commercial property that people want to be involved in. So, you know, as a player, if we're saying, no, this, these working conditions aren't right or we're not happy with this, they're going to have to start listening because people are actually paying attention. Um, you know, you see last week with the um, American basketball, how viral that went on social media where the two weights rooms were completely different and it changed like that. You had companies come out and sponsor the weights room for the women's setup. So I think, you know, people are so aware that being, you know, diverse within, you know, equal with genders and everything, um, you know, it only has to get out in the media and things just spiral. So I think, you know, people are trying to get ahead of that and get ahead of some bad press. Um, and certainly as a player, it does feel like you've got a little bit of empowerment there, to be honest. Yeah, and it seems, it seems like social media plays a massive role in that as well. I mean, I remember seeing that stuff with the NCAA tournament and it was incredible how quickly they managed to turn that around by using platforms. I think in women's sport as well, social media is, is really unique in that sense. Halima, on a more sort of boardroom level with your experience in, in DNI and also now sitting on a board, how do you think we can empower women in sport who aren't necessarily have that backing, that athlete voice, how can we empower them in, in the workplace more? Do you mean from a, from a board level? How do we yeah, get more women so onto board? In, yeah, in the sense that you're there, you're, you're there, yeah. you, you've got the position now, you're, you're CEO. H how can we empower them to feel like they have that voice, they have that power, and they're not just there necessarily and make them feel like it's you know, some sort of tick box? I think that there's a couple of things there, and I think there's a role that women themselves play um, in supporting each other as, as allies. And I think it's really important when you have women that do manage to get themselves into these roles at a very high senior um, senior leadership or board levels that we are paving the way for, for those behind us as well. Um, I'm probably going to be a little bit controversial because there are other women on this chat uh, here, but I've seen it myself. You know, People do suffer a little bit from this Queen Bee syndrome. Um, where it's like, well, I'm at the top and I don't really want anybody else to be here. Um, so I think women have to be better allies to each other. Um, and if you look at Margaret Thatcher, actually, Margaret Thatcher, I think it took her 11 years to appoint a woman to her cabinet because she wanted to elevate men over women. So I think we as women for each other need to support each other as better allies when we are at the top of our game, so to speak. But then equally, I think men, men need to do more around being better allies for, for women. And I think when I when I say that, what I mean is it's not about men saying, oh, we, you know, standing in front of us and saying, opening the door and be like, right, let's give women an opportunity. Actually, you know, it's side by side. And I think what men need to realise is that women can be successful in their own right. What we need them to do is realise that as well and not think that a woman's success has come off the back of a man either moving out of the way or saying, no, look, I'll help you get in through that door. Rob, you might disagree with me here and, and, and feel free to, to kind of put your input on that. But I think men and women both need to be allies to each other. Um, and I think finally my, my one as well is around the media. I think the media have a really big role to play in how they, um, how they advocate for women. And Tammy, obviously you mentioned it with, um, you know, when the media do get behind you in a positive way, the difference that it can make, but equally when the media get behind women in a negative way, how detrimental that can be. Um, and what you also have to realise is what message that sometimes sends for them young girls who want to aspire to be, whether it's an athlete or whether it's been in a position of a board level or senior management team, when the portrayal of women is seen very different to the portrayal of men. 
Uh, can I come in then? As I'll, as, yeah, uh, I'll jump in, please do. I'll be honest with you. The thing that I was going to say, and actually I'm glad you raised it, is I actually think that part of this is about having more men championing this. This doesn't just be about women advocating for women. This should be about men also taking responsibility. If we look at the fact that the reality is that we do not have the most diverse senior leadership in organisations across sport, we need to have more men championing this because we don't have enough women in senior leadership roles to be able to do the championing themselves. So there's a massive cultural piece that is about genuinely understanding and genuinely doing it for the right reasons, as you say. But yeah, absolutely. It's on, it's on all of us. It isn't just about um, women in the boardroom advocating for other women. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think just a practical example around how. So, um, I'm a trustee on Greater Sport Board, which is the active partnership in Greater Manchester, and genuinely is one of the most diverse sports boards in the country. And um, we've been through a couple of recruitment processes and it's skills based. It is absolutely about talented individuals. But the recruitment process that we went through was a little bit about trying to demystify what being on a board is about, actively recruiting into different networks, women's business networks and others to try and actually find the people with the talent in those different places and, and try and present being around a boardroom table and governance and whatever that might mean to people, something that people might want to throw their hat in the ring. And at that point, you let the skills do the rest because actually there are some, you know, fantastically talented people that will stand comparison to anyone. No, definitely. Um, I also wanted to, to ask all of you if you have uh, a woman that you've worked with throughout your career that you think is a is a great example of a role model who has really kind of elevated you or or helped you in in your career because I think I think we although as an industry I think we do love to talk about role models we always talk about them in the participation sense you know being a role model to inspire kids I mean Tammy I'm sure you hear that on a daily basis in terms of you know how how you're encouraging girls to take up cricket but we don't necessarily highlight those that sort of helped us get to that path in the industry whether it's a mentor or someone who was your boss whoever it might be so I was just wondering if anyone had anyone that they could pick out as someone who's really influenced them and, you know, it's almost like be more like, you know, be more like this person in a way, if anyone wants to jump in. Um, I, I, I do. My um, dojo leader, a woman called Hillary, um, has been a phenomenal inspiration for me over the past kind of 12 years that I've been doing my martial arts. Um, a woman that's really, you know, dedicated her life and her passion to her sport but also as a career woman, as a businesswoman, has been unafraid to say, you know, enjoy and embrace your femininity. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Don't feel that you should ever at any point have imposter syndrome. If, you, if you've worked hard to get to a position, you deserve to be there. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and to admit those mistakes, but learn from them. And don't be influenced by what other people say. Your life is your own and you need to be really driven by that. And I think those those kind of mantras have certainly have certainly really helped me because I have suffered from a lot of them. I, I, I was always really nervous about going for a more senior role because I kept thinking, am I qualified enough? Do I need to? And, and almost going the extreme of, of being so overqualified um, that, that I should have went for the role 
10 years ago, but I didn't because I, I was really nervous about that. And she certainly helped and really inspired me in many more ways than I think that she, she would ever know. That's amazing. I love that. Anyone else have any shout outs, I guess, for anyone during their careers that's really kind of helped them? I think um, I, growing up, I had a lot of male coaches, so not necessarily then, but I think in the last few years, quite a few of my teammates that have retired and gone on to things, I think I find incredibly inspiring. So Isha Gua has broken into broadcasting and I think she's now, people say she's the best female commentator on cricket. I say she's the best commentator on cricket. Um, she's broken into every um, kind of country, you know, Australia, India, England. And she is, you know, there's the A team on commentary and there's then the B teams and she's on the A team on every team. Um, and again, like I, I'm so inspired by her and um, Ebony Rainford Brent is another teammate of mine that in recent years has massively um, inspired me and actually brought me to tears in the summer when she was talking about um, the issues around Black Lives Matter live, uh, live on Sky. Um, and I think, you know, what she's doing now, she's running a, a ACE program, which is for Afro-Caribbean um, children in in, in and around London trying to get them into cricket and um, get them more access because you know there's such a talent pool there and so yeah she's been on a few boards I think at Surrey Cricket and things like that so the, those two girls in particular are breaking ground that are incredibly male don dominated uh, the kind of joke about cricket is it's male pale and stale <laughs> like um, so for those girls to kind of you know really broken through because of maybe they got somewhere because of their England career and they've really taken off afterwards, I think is a real inspiration to all us girls at the moment, knowing that, you know, cricket's your first career, but there's a real opportunity to um, create some waves in your second career as well. I was, um, oh. I was oh, go on, go on you Rob, go, were you, you going to go, go in go. there? No, you go. Um, but I was going to say at the, um, I don't think I'm going to name any names because I'll probably miss somebody off. <laughs> <laughs> we don't um, want to get you in trouble. Yeah, so I, I just think over my career, there's been a range of um, women and men, to be fair, that I, I, I've seen as really positive role models and who have really supported me, um, whether they've known it directly or just indirectly seeing them and how they've operated and worked, which has helped me to kind of get where I am. But I think probably one of the most important ones for me is the friends and family that I surround myself in. Um, some of them who work in the sports industry and especially some friends that don't work in sports industry and seeing some of the similarities as well that, that there are when it comes to driving that um, agenda of gen, um, gender equality. And I think they it's them people that you can really have that real and honest conversation with. Um, and at times they'll slap your wrist as well um, and, and, and tell you that, no, you need to have a word with yourself and you, you need to see how you're looking at this to be able to keep driving that agenda forward. So I think there's been probably a range of uh, role models in mind. I wanted to just really quickly, Rob, before I pass it on to you, um, pick up on a point that you mentioned about when you're advertising for your roles with sports, um, for board positions, how you're really getting people to understand what it's like to be um, a board member and not because people might be put off thinking they've got to be at a certain level of education. Stacey, you mentioned about not going for something because you're thinking you don't have that right academic qualification. And I think that's something that I've seen changed in sport and I think still needs to change even more is why do we have this assumption that certain roles at certain levels have to have an academic qualification? You have to have a degree to be able to do that role. Um, 
but actually your skills and your experience might outdo you and you might be better than that person who come from, you know, having a master's degree or a PhD um, to say that only board members all have master's and bachelor's degrees. I, I mean, I left school with five GCSEs. Um, I'd be left for dust if I didn't think I could sit on the board row, but it's the experience, whether that's been lived or just through the work that I've done that's allowed me to be able to get onto some of these board roles and really influence the way that they see um, how they can engage with different and diverse communities. I think that's something that massively needs to be looked at when it comes to recruitment is why are we um, limiting ourselves by putting certain criteria on application forms that doesn't need to be there? Yeah, I'll build on that point. The, the work with the professional workforce strategy there was a lot around how the sector could get a lot better at recruitment and retention of talent and progression routes through. So that's definitely a common theme. Um, I guess the question in, in the sort of the first question around sort of inspiring, I've been lucky that I've worked alongside some incredibly talented people, but I think the thing that stands out most to me, genuinely, honestly, about where I've learned the most and I guess been most inspired, and apologies if it sounds a bit cheesy, but it is my wife. She, she works as a lawyer, so probably comparable in many respects in terms of quite a male-dominated industry. And just learn it, seeing her experiences progress as a lawyer, um, having three kids, so three career breaks and all that goes around that. And I'm just like, I think it opened my eyes more than I could have ever imagined in terms of some of the challenges that you think you're quite open-minded as a, as a, as a man and actually really understanding what the challenges it must be like to try and develop a career and go through those sorts of career breaks and challenges working within quite a male, male dominated industry. So I, I think there's sort of a lot, like a little bit, like you said, Helena, about uh, what we can learn from our friends and family as well. And I feel like we've sort of come full circle in a way um, with your point, Helena, about actually challenging the nature of some elements of the sports industry in order to get to the goal of making it a more inclusive and diverse space. I mean, you made the very good point about diversity means nothing without the inclusion element. So how do we change? How do we change that core element and, and challenge people to say having a master's in sports administration is not the be all and end all to being a good board member? Stacey, you sit on... Um, two boards I think CSM and Rugby League World Cup so I mean how do you work as, as someone in that position to have that influ influence to try and change potentially two sports cultures at, at once? And so it's a really good question and I think the first is is something that we've recently implemented which is um, masked CVs so essentially blind CVs. Let's take off you know all the information that talks about a candidate's gender because that's not important and let's look at the experience the second is, you know, really championing that not all great minds think alike. In fact, quite the contrary. And, and to make up an effective board or an effective organisation, you need diversity of thought as much as, as diversity full stop. So mass CVs and really looking at experience saying what, what you don't need are cookie cutters of yourself. What a board doesn't need is everybody sitting on a board with an MBA because people will tend to think in the same direction and what you need is challenges from all different aspects. Um, and I think they, they are really important going forward. I think it's understanding um, 
you know, to everybody's point that it's not just about an academic education that means you have ex the best experience and knowledge in order to drive an organization forward. It's about world experience as well. And I think, you know, we need to change mentalities in terms of, of understanding that, that living it and doing it is just as important as studying it and researching it. And a blend of both is the best way for an organization to go forward. And, and I think that comes in, in, in all aspects, you know. Um, I, think, I think there are a lot of fantastic uh, male role models. I don't want to, to, to not knock the fact that there are, in my, in my career, in my life, I've had just as many amazing male role models that I have female role models as well. So I think, I think you have a lot of very progressive men in organisations, a lot of, of very progressive women, but I think full stop, it needs a kind of mental mindship as corporate beasts that sport federation rights holders can be in understanding that we we need to approach the makeup of organizations in a very different way. Halima, you're like you gonna jump in. I was just gonna mention something on your point there, Stacey, where you talked about some of the blind recruitment that you're doing by hiding, um, oh well, you, you probably get your applications without the, the gender and the personal details. I, and I'm not here to start another debate on this work because I'm still figuring where I sit on the line with this one. Um, because at times I feel like, why do we have to hide our characteristics of who we are in order to be, into, in order to get ourselves to the next stage of an interview? Um, and it's just something that I've personally been kind of contesting myself and really having conversations about at what point do we have to move ourselves away from blind recruitment? Because if you're an interview on a shortlisting panel, you should be able to look beyond your own bias and you shouldn't somebody shouldn't have to hide their gender their ethnicity where they're from who they are in order to be shortlisted for an interview so it was just really interesting that you mentioned that point Stacey because it, it's something that I've been grappling for some time now and and, and it's you know you've made a really good point because it's exactly the same as the kind of quota as well it's something that you don't want to have to do but in the short term sometimes organizations have to implement it in order to make that first step in the long run, we should never need it. It should never, ever matter. You know, no, no matter what gender you are, race you are, um, age you are, it really shouldn't matter. But, but to make those steps, unfortunately, we're, we're, in a, we're in a situation where, you know, we need it at times. It's, but I agree. It's, it's interesting because obviously having going through this process right now, we had the debate. Do we ask the questions? Uh, and in the end, we have asked the questions about gender, ethnicity, etc. And part of the reason we challenge ourselves, we're going to ask the questions because we need to challenge ourselves as to whether we've been inclusive in our recruitment process around, are we getting the applicants through from a diverse group of people? And it's not just protected characteristics, but if we don't ask the question, we don't know. So that was part of our debate that we were having with ourselves. And actually, if we're, not, if we're going to learn about how to be more inclusive in our recruitment, let's actually understand how effective we've been in the first place. So that was the debate we had. And I, I get the argument both ways, but um, it, it's, it's been an interesting one we grappled with, certainly. And one of the questions someone sent through, which I think is quite a nice way to maybe kind of wrap things up is, um, in an ideal world, what would you like sports culture to look like in five years? 
Tammy, I'm going to start with you on this um, bombshell um, because I know, obviously, you know, you're you're straddling across two things here as an athlete. You've got that athlete experience, what you'd like women's sports to like, women's cricket, but also from a personal point of view, starting your own business that's looking at workplace culture elements of it. Where would you like the the sports workplace culture to, to look like in in five years? I think I'm probably stealing a, a few other people's points, but I think um, I just like it to be, you know, not necessarily equal in terms of numbers, but equal in terms of opportunity so that everyone's got equal opportunity when they're 18 to, to become whatever they want to become um, and make sure that, you know, you are hearing all the different voices and that we're not closing doors to people just because of their background, their gender, their ethnicity, anything like that. And I think, like you've said, any inc- the more inclusive an environment is, the um, the better it will be. So yeah, I, I hope to see much more inclusivity across the board in the future. And we and you'll be teasing your new business once it's up and running. I'm sure we'll give it a shout out at some point whenever whenever it is up and running. But um, no, it's <laughs> it's, nice. <laughs> it's great to have that perspective as well. Um, Stacey, I'm going to go to you because I feel like you've got a, um, a whole strategy already developed for this one. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm going to focus particularly on sport here and I'm going to roll out my stat first because uh, I think it will tee up nicely to what I would like to see in five years time. Um, so according to the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report, North America, which, you know, let, let's put it into context, is one of the world's leading powers, will not see gender equality for another 151 years. I find that absolutely staggering because NASA and SpaceX are going to start launching their first human missions to Mars in 2030s. We will have most likely colonized Mars, yet still will not have gender equality in the United States. I think sport for me in, in, in its entirety, whether it's the individuals that are working to help a sport function, the athletes themselves, absolutely everybody involved, has a, a real opportunity to buck that trend. And what I would like to see in five years' time is strides towards doing that. A more balanced um, organisations from the top to the very bottom. You know, in five years' time, Florence, you'll hate me for saying this, I don't want women in sport to exist because I, 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 I want it to be that there's no need to have that vehicle anymore. That for me would be what good looks like. Don't worry, it's very on brand. We, we say the same thing. <laughs> that, that would be our, um, our end, end goal as well. Um, Halima, how about yourself? Big question, isn't it? Yeah. That being on an interview, where do you want to be in five years time? Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, probably just trying to keep it simple is if we can strive and if we can work towards diversity of voices I 100% believe that the the physical diversity will follow that because when we start opening ourselves up and we start to see people that don't think like us don't talk like us and we allow for their voices to be heard and we allow for their voices to come into spaces where they may never have been before all the other diversity will fall into place and maybe that's my very simplistic way of looking at this but I but that's where I'd like us to be in five years time, where we are comfortable as an industry listening to very different voices. And even if they don't sit well with us, um, but we take into account their voices and we try and drive the agenda based on that. No, Sorry, I, I, jump in on that one. Go for 
I think that's so important. And that's something that I'm going to look to do in the business because um, as a team, we always sit down and we do like personality testing and we realize as a team, which parts of a person, which parts we're maybe missing. So our team at the moment isn't actually very good at adapting, which is in, in cricket, it's quite important. So we actually have to work on that as a group and use particular people who have that as a strength. And actually, once we started looking at that, we were such a better team because we started to understand other people's point of view. And, you know, I've got some people that I barely got on with before because we just couldn't communicate with each other. And after these kind of actual listing as a personality, you just it just clicked and we realized what we were going to do. And this was a year out from the World Cup that we won in 2017. And I, I hands down will say if we didn't go through that process of actually understanding each other as people and learning how to communicate and and listen to other people's point of view without thinking they hated you um we wouldn't have won that world cup so i can see how that could transfer directly to businesses and boards and and governance definitely i mean li yeah listening is, is is key isn't it just being able to communicate with each other and having that trust as well rob finishing us off on the five-year plan um for changing the the world of, of sports culture yeah you, you've given me an interesting one there considering <laughs> the three great answers that i'm following um i guess for me like like there's a bit about you know building on the points like in a world where we can move from tick box compliance to the cultural change that we're talking about, where common practice is good practice. I think at the moment we're almost working on a world of working towards minimum standards. Actually, what we want to see is that actually the common practice is, is, is good practice and then striving for best practice from that. So, uh, you know, and I think there are some brilliant organizations and some brilliant examples out there. I think we need to reflect that there are, there is a lot of good work going on, but ultimately, I guess it is about making that that genuine sea change from where we are today to where we can be in five years' time. Definitely, definitely. Um, questions come in, um, so if anyone wants to jump in um, and answer this one, but someone's asked about uh, women-specific networks um, and how important do we think they are uh, and the cheerleading of other women that, that comes part of that. Spoiler, I know Halima is actually part of the Wise Women Network, so um, don't feel like you have to um, say how amazing it is. But in general, what do people think? You know, obviously women in football is a, is a big one in, in, in this industry that I'm a part of. And, and I think the pandemic has been great because they've done a lot of webinars and stuff like that. So yeah, how, how important do, do, do any of you think those sorts of networks are? I don't mind taking that one first then. Go for it. Um, Florence. Yeah, the Women in Wise Network is brilliant. Just join it if you haven't already. <laughs> um, no, I, I think they're good. I think they're needed. Um, but I think what we have to be careful of is that we don't just become loads of women's networks that aren't talking to the wider industry and the system. Um, because it's good to have that support system and then allyship, as I mentioned, with each other. Um, what I would like to do, and, and this is maybe something I'll propose to the um, to the community that, that that we've got with women in sport is when do we start bringing men into this conversation because otherwise we are just a load of women probably talking about the same old things that we talk about all the time and some of the same old challenges um you know we'll, we'll probably have like a conversation around men not supporting us as much as they should uh, sorry Rob, i feel like we're going to get picked on here as the only <laughs> as the only male on, on on this group you're having to stick up for the whole of mankind in the sport industry um but actually i think what I see is really healthy is, and this goes back to that 
my whole point of being really comfortable in uncomfortable situations is let's start bringing them into these conversations and talking about what does it look like for them when we talk about certain things I I've had to learn something over time is that if I'm uncomfortable with something then I need to talk to the person who's made me uncomfortable about it and it's going to make them uncomfortable but the only way we're going to get to the end solution and make an impact on what we're both trying to do which is that shared vision that we have is by having that conversation and Tammy you mentioned it with your with your training for the World Cup until you start talking to people until you start that line of communication you don't know how you can collectively make a greater impact and you know what a great example you won the World Cup (laughs) no better example really yeah Our speed dating feedback sessions were honestly the worst two hours of your life. <laughs> Sweated more than that, like talking to someone than uh, in any of the fitness sessions. Anyone else have anything to add on that, on the, the women women's networks within within sport? I, d- I just think, um, to, to jump in, women's networks can be incredibly positive. It can be a, a place where you can share experiences and learn from each other. It can be... You know, uh, Halima, to your point earlier, it's women supporting women and knowing that you're not alone in your experiences or in in feeling the way you do or or it can really help drive you. I would kind of temper that to say um, back to everybody as well that, um, you know, it's not just about women's networks. It's about networks full stop. It's about speaking to to people and getting support no matter what gender they are or no matter where they're from and learning from these experiences and growing forward. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, I think I think that don't think any more questions have come in. I will just double check. Um, so I'll have a look, but I don't think we've had any more questions. Um, if anyone is interested um, in joining the Wise Women Network community that we've set up with funding from Comic Relief, you can join if you are a woman working in sport. Um, you'll get to meet people like Halima on there. Um, and um, we run uh, Zoom sessions and, and kind of have guest speakers and all this kind of thing. Um, so please get in touch if you're interested. Um, I believe we still um, are taking on um, people if they'd like to join and and it's all about building those connections and, and bringing people together in order to bring about change which is what we're trying to do through these podcasts as well um, is really try and not just talk about things for for talk for you know talking about them sake um, which obviously is is um, easy to say when it's a podcast um, but actually trying to you know bring about some change with with what we do so thank you so much everybody for joining us this evening um, and um, wherever you may be wherever you're heading off to um, and maybe it is a pub garden or wherever uh, or maybe even to the gym or, or the swimming pool now that they're open um, which is obviously what, what women in sport would endorse um, yeah thank you so much for joining us and as always you can find all of our insight on our website in the research and advice section you can have a look at some previous work we've done on this topic as well as some of the audits um, from a few years ago and then a kind of deeper look into workplace culture so please do have a look it's all available for free um just head to the website and get in touch with us at support at womeninsport.org if you have any questions or anything um and yeah thank you so much thank you to the amazing panelists